Hello, welcome to the Car Like I See It podcast. I'm James Keyes, and in this episode of Car Like I See It, we're going to take a look at the travel advisories that advising people to avoid Florida that have recently been issued by several organizations, including the NAACP, and consider whether moves like these in the face of perceived or actual hostility and regressive policies can be effective or if they kind of miss the mark. And later on, we're going to discuss the struggles of those with long COVID now that the pandemic emergency from like the formal official policy standpoint has been officially declared as over and resources for dealing with pandemic and pandemic related things have begun to dry up. Joining me today is a man who could feel your energy from three planets away. Tunde Ogonlana. Tunde, are you ready to show the people why you remain so adamantly opposed to the killing of vibes? Oh, I was going to say, as long as you don't kill my vibes. <laughs> oh, it's just I yours then. That, not, yeah. just, not in general, just yours. No, apparently the song was just talking about your own vibes, not others. <laughs> so... All right, now we're recording this on May 30th, 2023. And a little over a week ago, we saw the NAACP issue a formal travel advisory regarding the state of Florida, which takes aim at the policies and actions of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, which are alleged to be hostile towards African-Americans, people of color, and LGBTQ plus people. The advisory essentially asked people to understand, quote unquote, Florida's hostility towards minorities before traveling to the state. Now, this advisory comes after the issuing of similar travel advisories by Equality Florida and the League of United American Citizens, with the one from Equality Florida relating primarily to the LGBTQ community and the one from the League of United American Citizens relating to immigrants and the treatment of immigrants in Florida. So to get us started, Tunde, what have been your thoughts on the travel advisory that we've seen issued by the NAACP and these other groups to avoid Florida? Like, it's a, what do you, what do you, what's your reaction to seeing this? Yeah, I think my my initial reaction was one of somewhat disappointment um, to, yeah, and I would say, and not to be too dramatic, right? But it's kind of sad to say, okay, this is how you're reacting to it. Um, then just kind of the idea that. Um, I'll say it this way without trying to sound too maybe negative about it. I felt like it's another example where some some people in this country that are not of the majority group uh, behave and, and act like they're renters in this country and not owners in this country. And that, and that um, you know, it's this, I just felt it was a very, um, not a position coming from strength or a position of trying to help and solve whatever you feel is um, happening that you feel is wrong, it's a, kind of a, hey, let's just run out of here and leave. And I feel like it also plays into the hands of those who may want to see groups like the ones you stated uh, leave Avoid their vicinities. Florida, yeah. yeah. So I feel like, okay, if this is how you respond to how Florida is doing things, you might actually um, promote other states to behave this way too, that, that yeah. may be more hostile to people like, you know, the groups you mentioned. So it's just We're hostile enough. They'll just leave. Tyra, yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll stop coming. And, and, and I think it's a, it's look, uh, we, you and I personally, as well as I think people who we might share our similar, um, uh, outlooks on, on life and stuff have spent a lot of time, um, lamenting the fact that we have a certain group of Americans that have the type of energy where they don't seem to want to participate in the democracy. Right. And and we talk about things like January 6th, the insurrection as being symbolic of that, that they. That yeah, they want to blow they, it up if it's if they can't control. it. Exactly. And and this is a different uh, expression of that. You know, the, the NAACP and these other groups aren't saying let's blow up the state of Florida. But it, in a way, they're they're saying something similar, which is, you know, don't participate in this in this system here because it is not going our way instead of saying. Why don't you immerse yourself into the political landscape of Florida if you want to see long term change? And I think it's so. I, I, think would, it's, I would disagree with that, though. That I don't think okay. that they're they're saying that you we we don't want this to work, so to speak. I mean, I look at this. I mean, well, they're and, saying and, let's leave and don't come here. What they're saying, yeah, don't come here, don't spend <laughs> so your money here. That's kind of like saying that we give up on this place 
Well, I, part of my problem is saying they're actually. not saying blowing it up, but they're saying we're not, don't worry about participating, just leave. And that to me is similar to blow it up, but in a different way. Saying don't. Well, but it, it's and here's it's, I was gonna say here's actually my part of my concern with this is that it's not a clear like I'm trying to figure out genuinely here is this a boycott or are they saying that this is you know like this place you need to be careful about going here because it's not safe for you. You know, like I'm, that's what I'm trying. It's kind of stuck in between. It's kind of nebulous in the sense that, like, if it's a boycott, call it a boycott. Like, look, we want to exert financial influence on this to change it. You know, we want to make it so that it's pe- people aren't making money, and so they're more willing to listen to us as far as our concerns. Like, that's a legit way to exercise political power using economic means. That's you know happens you know throughout history. Like, then so that is participating in the system. Whereas if it's like, okay, well, no, so that on that hand, it would not be akin to we don't like it. So we're blowing it up and saying, well, we don't like the way that you're running this thing. We don't think it's fair. We don't think it's, you know, from the standpoint of equality and, and, and so forth. So therefore, we're going to exert influence in this way. And if it's the other thing, if it's just saying, okay, well, we don't think it's safe for you to be here, then that's a whole nother story as well. But neither that still also isn't just saying, let's flush it down the toilet because we can't control it because we they were never controlling it. NAACP was never controlling Florida in the first place. You know, it was they were they were more so saying, give us a fair shake. But I think this really comes down to how to exert influence or power when you are a minority or a minority group in the sense that you can't just say, okay, let's just overwhelm the ballot box and exert our influence that way. You have to be more nuanced in how you exert influence. And so to me, that's really what I see. And I mean, you see the the other groups doing similar travel advisories. But again, my biggest issue is that a travel advisory isn't really, it, it's not explicitly a boycott, but it's not also, it's not saying like, don't go here because you might not make it back because these people are, you know, like what you see sometimes like for certain countries, you know, like or recently we saw issue, US issue one with Russia. Like, look, if you go here, <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> we can't get you back out, you, you know. And so be in a gulag. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that to <laughs> me is the it, it's kind of the ambiguity of it. Um and so but with looking at the organizations, I'll say this and I'll kick it back to you, but I think I mean NAACP NAACP part of their mission is to agitate. So this is consistent with what they it is that they do. They're trying to agitate um now whether or not it's the most effective way to do it, I will get into, but this is it has people talking about it. You know, people are talking about this. People are talking about therefore talking about the policies that they're upset about. They're going on the news program saying, oh, well, this is what we don't like and yada, yada, yada. Without making this travel advisory, they don't necessarily get everyone's attention on this. So mission accomplished from that standpoint, I give them kudos. But ultimately, like I said, I wish that what they were doing here was a little bit more defined and less nebulous because you and I would agree with them that the policies here, you know, that are that have been put in place and the actions by the governor are inconsistent with the creed of the United States, at least in terms of what was written. And but it's like, well, hold on. What, what are you saying here? Like, what, what exactly? Therefore, what are you what are you saying that people should do? Should they not spend money? Should they do this and so forth? So but not. Nah, but I mean, I, I know I jumped in on you a little bit, but I, I want to get my initial thought out. But go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going that far down the rabbit hole on it in terms of um, what are they really saying? Because I think you're right that the the fact that they're uh, not saying- It's their job to be clear about that. No, I know. But the fact they're not being clear uh, just tells me, okay, this this is more- I just feel like this is more of an emotional reaction than a, than a um, like you're saying, kind of a something where people really sat and thought, okay, what's the most effective way for us to voice our disapproval with the attacks that we've seen from, you know, the the top down, right? The, the, the governor's uh, mansion on things like- I mean, they cite specifically things like the, you know, the attack on AP history courses uh, that discuss black history. And again, I think that, you know, everybody, not everybody, but, you know, the kind of different sides of this, I feel, you know, preparing for this, I actually spent time watching some kind of videos and documentaries on the civil rights era, um, but stuff that was filmed back then, uh, which I found very interesting to see people being interviewed in the street in the mid, late 60s. And, and, and being asked their opinions about things. And it's the same things you hear today. And, um, you know, and, and, and so I feel like people like the governor are approaching this the same way, like the Southern strategy way of let's talk about crime and immigration and, and, and you know, attacking people who are 
want to see pluralism and multiculturalism as being leftist. And remember, it was communist back then in the 60s. You know, if your integration was was uh, was equal to communism. And it's the same thing, being open to things like gay and minority stuff and all that today is is considered woke and leftist. So he's approaching it and that group is approaching it the same way. I feel like, you know, the NAACP is reacting in a similar knee-jerk way of just saying, okay, this is, um, you know, this is just bad and, 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 and let's not, let's just focus on the same conversation that you're banning black history and certain things instead of a more nuanced conversation saying, hey, first of all, this is a prevention of freedom of speech. Second of all, you're indoctrinating all uh, kids in the state, let's say, to not learn the full story of the American history. This isn't black history. This is American history. So again, I just feel like everyone's retreated to their corners and it's the same type of arguments instead of being creative and trying to find a new way to come at this. And um, and so, you know, that's it's well, just yeah, kind of I mean, sad I think for me that's to see kind it. of that's the the downside of it kind of or maybe I mean, if that's what their objective is here, then that's the upside of it being kind of nebulous as far as what exactly they're trying to get out of this. Like it does come off as almost a tantrum in the sense that we're mad at what this guy is doing. And again, I would say justifiably mad about what he's doing. So we're going to issue a travel advisory but it's like okay but are you doing a boycott are you asking people to not come and not spend money on you know as far as tourism florida florida relies on tourism for a large part of its money um as you know from a government standpoint or are you say like again like that's to me like the nebulous piece of it i don't know if they view that as a strength but i view that as a weakness um yeah. and so because like i said and i was saying before we see these kinds of things you know, from the State Department for other countries. And, you know, I have a concern in this that if they're looking at, if they, if they put this out here like this, now, one, the way our media system works, it's not, people aren't necessarily, like, it would be difficult for this to happen, I'll say this. But my concern with something like this is don't end up being the boy that cries wolf, you know, in the sense that, okay, like, if this, if, if we're at this point now where we have a travel advisory, well, if Florida, Florida can, t- can still be more hostile towards the interests that they've been hostile, hostile towards. And so if, if, if Florida amps it up a little bit more, then have you already shot the boycott bullet even, even though you didn't really call for a boycott now? Like, can you even go further than this now? Or have is this just your shot that you've taken? And it's like, okay, yeah, Florida starts just locking up people, you know, just randomly because they've decided that, you know, well, they, they, they've decided they just don't participate in the ideals of America anymore. And so protesters are out protesting and Florida's tried to make that illegal now. And so now we're just going to start locking up thousands of people because they were peacefully protesting. Then what do you do? Have you already exhausted your kind of, you know, like the, the, the bullet you had, so to speak, to to go at Florida? Now, you know, obviously there's still lawsuits and so forth, but I agree with you in the sense that the creativity aspect is this something that is a is this something you can then you can put in place and then you can escalate it or what is it because when it's just if, if this is your that this is the what you have to, to push back and you've shot it now one I mean you, you need to be you know you need to do some brainstorming to come up with other avenues to to exert pressure you know as a as a group representing minorities again because minority meaning there's less of you and in a democratic system which we purport to, 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 to all value. If you have less people, you have to figure out other ways to make alliances and so forth. Um, and so what do you do? You think there's a risk, you know, of with these, with, you know, NAACP and but also the other you know, organizations, Equality Florida and the League of United American Citizens, which, by the way, is the largest uh, Hispanic uh, group or Latin Hispanic type group in the United States. I'll say specifically the largest Hispanic and Latin American organization in the United States. Do they run the risk of kind of shooting their shot too early or delegitimizing themselves because they they're protesting they're, they're what they're doing as far as a protest isn't fitting for isn't clear or isn't fitting for what the actual what they're protesting? Um, so I think I'll break it up into into two. So I think do do they risk the shooting the shot early? I mean, I don't I don't know. I, I think, you know time will tell on all this stuff and people can get more aggressive or not based on how they feel the state is maybe treating other people. Right. So I think that one, you can always come back to the well and, and complain and, and make your public stance, whatever happens. You can always but I agitate think, some more. No, yeah, no, that that's what I'm sense. saying. So I don't think that, 
that one to me is just hit or miss. But I think that the other one you cite is 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 more um, interesting, which is do they risk g- delegitimizing themselves? And the thing I'm not sure how to you know really play that out. I guess time will tell. But I think th- there is a partial answer, which is yes, because like for example, the the governor's office already responded, calling all this a stunt, and it kind of seems like in a way, just like I would say that, you know, a lot of his actions in terms of Governor DeSantis's actions have been stunts too. And we've discussed them on different, uh, different times and different uh, discussions on the show. But yeah. so everyone is, is, you know, has, has, has the ability to pull stunts to try and do something to prove a point to their kind of side or their base. And then by, but by doing it, they, they, you know, others, you know, whether the people doing it, realizing it or not, others from the outside are looking at it saying, eh, you know, it's, it's, it, it probably won't have the desired effect that, that, that or it might undermine them. Let me, let me jump in real quick. Cause yeah. you've made a good example in other shows about this with the Martha's vineyard when, when DeSantis yeah. was flying migrants to Martha's vineyard, but by doing that, so he got to own the headlines and all you know, his, the, his constituencies, you know, they were very happy and cheered him on, but the people who he flew were able to get residency because of because he flew them to Martha's Vineyard, he triggered a law that allowed them to stay here. Yeah, and so, I mean, but in that part, necessarily didn't get covered as much. But so he undermined his own cause by doing the the, the quote unquote stunt that he did. And so that's a good point you yeah. raise in terms of how that could be like if if this is a stunt, so to speak. And I don't say stunt as a like you have to do stunts to get attention. You know, so like I'm not saying stunt as a negative, but if this is a stunt, so to speak, there is a potential downside to to pulling these stunts, which may not get covered as much. But, but go well, ahead. And also also the, the the downsides take a long time to play out. So, for example, you know, another stunt, um, not to pick on Governor DeSantis in this way. Right. But another stunt that, that, that clearly looks like it was a stunt at this point was. His, the way he's attacked Disney, the corporation, you know, yeah. instead of just kind of having his sparring match with him, maybe in public for a little while and then letting it go, he got so aggressive that now the long-term outcome might be a negative impact um, long-term, at least or midterm on the Florida economy. You know, to, Disney just announced recently that they're not going to follow through with a $1 billion investment. And now they're questioning whether they're going to go through with a full $17 billion investment over 10 years and create 30,000 jobs. Um, so those are things that, again, because of culture wars, the governor may have a long-term or let's say midterm five to 10 year impact on the Florida economy when it comes to the largest private employer in the state, um, you know, uh, because because they had to do this sparring match publicly. And so getting back to what we're talking about directly of unintended consequences and also going back to the point I made earlier where this is where I feel like, again, everyone's fighting these old battles. Like you and I are watching people fight battles that our parents and grandparents were kind of around to see and we weren't. So for example, the governor has clearly made a decision in recent years that he's going to go this direction with being the anti-woke guy, being the anti, we got to stick it to the left kind of guy, which is, you know, that's his prerogative to do that. The interesting thing I find is he's he's behaving this way in a state that has the third largest black population, uh, somewhere between 15 and 17% of the state is black, African-American, Caribbean, whatever you want to Which define Which results in a, a raw number that is the third highest num- raw number of black African-American, you know, however you yeah, in the country. It, in the country. Our third largest state. of the raw numbers, yeah. We could say that it has the one of the highest percentage. I'm not going to compete with California on this one, but we know that Florida would have one of the highest percentage of Hispanic Americans and immigrants uh, from all stripes, just because of the, you know the nature of Florida, and then we we all know, especially living in South Florida, with places like Key West or Wilton Manors in Fort Lauderdale or Miami Beach, and every major city in Florida has a Pride Week or Pride you know month. So this it's one of the friendlier states and has been traditionally to the LGBTQ community. So that's why I find this kind of fascinating because Governor DeSantis isn't doing this from a state like Idaho or Wyoming or Maine, where you would say, okay, you know, it's 80% kind of white American Christian, you know, it's not a lot of blacks or Hispanics or gays, they're openly gay, at least. You've got, you know, the, the gay chamber of commerce here is is one of the largest in the state. 
um, besides New York and California. So when you think about it, by attacking these groups, it's a potential follow on the Disney thing in the big picture is that you may run the risk of driving um, long term, right? People out of the state or tourists from coming who feed our economy. Because again, talking about the black population, Florida also has the second highest amount of black owned businesses in in the country. Mm -hmm. So it it just, and I'm not saying I fear that all these people are going to leave. I don't think that's going to happen. I just think it's interesting to watch this fight because he's picking a fight with a bunch of people who collectively are a large constituency of his, yeah. but he's made a choice to say, okay, I want to, I want to court the people who are intimidated by this group, the, the, you know, these groups. So no, it's a good point. It's a good point. I mean, and that's, that actually leads me to the third piece I wanted to discuss here. And, you know, like, first off, I'll say like, it's clear that this is, this is political. Like we, we have to do better in terms of how we talk about things. Cause people are like, Oh, this is the NAACP. This is just a political thing. You know, like, yes, it is a political thing. It, <laughs> yeah, it, it involves like DeSantis is being political. Yeah, correct. Exactly. This, these, like, this, but this is like, <laughs> this is the game. Well, but hold up. This is legitimate political. They're, they're not being personal. These aren't personal attacks or anything like that. This is legitimately political. They're mad at political things that DeSantis are doing. And so they're doing a political response you know, like it, it, this is about policy. This is about posturing and so forth. And so, yeah, this, you can say that this is political without being it's something that we're saying, oh, yeah, we're, we're trying to demean it in any way. Like, yes, this is all a political fight. And so, you know, the, 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 from there, I, I question whether and we, we've kind of danced around this, but I want to get into it directly, whether there'd be a better way to express the, a, the political displeasure here, particularly in a state like what you just said. Where you, this is not a state where you have a 90% or 95% majority, and then everybody else is kind of on the, like literally on the fringes. Like if this was being done in Wyoming or Idaho, you know, you say you throw out, like this would be a different type of situation, but it's done in a very diverse state. Now, the diversity in Florida, though, is very, uh, it's very concentrated. You know, like where Florida is diverse is very diverse. And then it also has large swaths of places, areas where it's not diverse at all. And so that creates this dichotomy of Florida, honestly, a lot like the United States in general, where you have just if you go by county, you have a bunch of counties where it's not diverse at all. And then you have a few counties where it's very diverse. But most of the people live in those counties where it's very diverse. But I wonder and I'll get to you in a second on this, because. In that instance, like the NAACP isn't coming into Florida or is, you know, they had their own. It was actually the Florida um, portion of the NAACP. They're one of the Florida chapters that initially proposed this to the NAACP to make this to do this travel advisory. But from that, you would you wonder whether there would be a better, more effective way. And I wonder if they explored these or not. You know, they maybe they explored them and realized they just couldn't do them to exert this kind of pressure. Governor DeSantis also has a lot of enemies already, like Disney. You know, I've seen it suggested um, from some of the people in Florida that from some of the black people in Florida, black organizations in Florida, they weren't crazy about this travel advisory. Like, well, hold on. Have we looked into like seeing if we can do something to help Disney or or work with Disney on that? Where you, you know, again, with political things, you look at people who are also adversaries to the person you're trying to work against. You team up with them or any other ways to create alliances to then exert political pressure in another way or in a way that, again, doesn't take you down this nebulous path of, and it, it, one of the downsides of having a nebulous path is how do you even judge success? You know, so from your standpoint, Tunde, do you think um, or, or wh- what's your thought on, you know, kind of a, finding a better way or exploring a, a different way to kind of exert this political pressure on a political issue? Because, you know, again, what they're doing now, it could be the only way, but it may not be. Yeah, I think, well, you got a lot of interesting things, right? Like our mind, this again, I go back to kind of, I think the culture wars of the 60s that kind of, I think, formed our modern, I think for anyone like under 100 years old at this point, you know, ah. you're kind of, you're kind of formed by, by, by those things, whether you live through it or like us, you were born within a decade or so after it and, and people born after us, right? Everyone's kind of been influenced by this 1960s reorganization of American culture. And by that, I mean, you know, the, the, all the stuff we hear where the, the, the Southern Democrats were the segregationists, 
Um, you know, and then and then it kind of switched over that the decade of the late sixties into the early seventies. Yeah, we they were into, courted into the Republican Party. Yeah, courted into the Republican Party, and the blacks used to you know occupy about thirty percent of the Republican Party and switched to to being Democrats. So we've kind of those fault lines have been drawn, and we've been living um, kind of on either side of them, right? And and very few that can straddle both worlds. Which, think- by the way, just from a historical <clears throat> perspective, is pretty interesting in the sense that the kind of reorganization of the political parties. Remember, the political parties themselves aren't inherently ideological. They're more like clubs. Yeah. Like they, but they are they, – they, they, so they've been reorganized throughout the American history, you know. But it's interesting. The, the reorganization that happened in the late 60s, you know, civil rights – from the Civil Rights Act, essentially, Lyndon Johnson saying, I just signed away the South – when he signed the Civil Rights Act, uh, Act, signed away the South from the Democrats. The Democrats, he said, for a generation aren't going to have anybody in the South. It was more than that. But we've actually been relatively static since then relative to American history. Usually there's been more shuffling of the parties um, from a time standpoint. Over, If you look over a 60-year period, that this is re- very stable in terms of the, the kind of constituencies that make up the parties. But go ahead. Yeah. No, and, and so I think that um- – you know, a lot of us have a knee-jerk kind of, like I've said in, before in the show, is that um, the knee-jerk rea- way of looking at it in this kind of static black and white as we have been conditioned, us as Americans, to think of things as literally white Americans and then just African Americans as black Americans, you know, the kind of one-drop rule and all that. And even in preparing today, I, I started thinking how many blacks, like let's say, are in the state of Florida, Right that aren't African-American. Yeah. And it just creates this interesting dynamic, which might not have been the case in the 60s. Most blacks in Florida in the 60s were descendants of American slaves that were brought from Africa, right? Now we've got, an, you know, for example, you know, a lot of Americans don't know this. Brazil is a country with 120 million blacks, almost 50% of the population. Um, and they're the same genetic you know, descendant of African slaves, um, because, you know, the slave ships went to South America as well. Um, But, you know, black Brazilians that come here don't consider themselves African American and don't have the same historical culture and and kind of uh, maybe feel intimidated by behaviors of, you know, like saying we're not going to teach black history in AP high school courses, you know, to Haitians and Caribbean, you know, Caribbean blacks, that doesn't have the same, it doesn't resonate maybe the same way as it does to African-Americans who um, have more of a emotional and cultural connection to that history. Well, so, understandably also that are just, th- that have kind of, their parents or grandparents have seen this before versus the immigrant necessarily won't necessarily have the same sensitivity yeah. because, you know, like they, they're coming more, they, they, they wanted to come here and they're coming in more fresh and not necessarily with the same like, oh, okay, yeah, when this happened with my grandmother or whatever, this is what followed or whatever. No, that's what I'm saying. And I think uh, people like Governor DeSantis that are playing this from, you know, that the other side of the fence, let's say, might not recognize that, you know, again, there's a lot of, you know, European and Hispanic immigrants who also don't share the same emotional and cultural feelings of white Americans, right? Like they're not maybe as intimidated of talking about some of the history and all that. And so I think that both sides, again, are competing for attention um, based on kind of, yeah, American kind of history, like our recent 50, 60 years of American history. But I think a lot of, you know, not realizing that both sides are talking to a lot of people in the state, especially because we have such a high immigrant population Mm -hmm. and immigrants from everywhere, white immigrants, black immigrants, that I think a lot of this stuff is, I wouldn't say it falls on deaf ears. But I just think that both sides are trying to make points, which the public is like looking at them saying, you know, okay, man, like I see it, but you know, this is not making the trains run on time. This is not, you know, this potentially damages the economy, so on and so forth. Yeah. And so that's that's why it's just fascinating to me. No, I mean, and I think actually that actually leads to where I was going to go with this, because what I was thinking with this is that regardless of what overt acts you take from an agitation standpoint, or from a lobbying standpoint or whatever, what I think the NAACP really should be doing here uh, or, or focusing on um, or Equality Florida or the League of United American Citizens is the persuasion piece. And I think what you just said raises, brings makes that even more uh, pertinent in the sense that 
I, there's not enough discussion on why this is bad. It's, it, it's, it's almost like the NAACP is getting out here or Equality Florida is getting out here and saying, okay, here's the travel advisory. What DeSantis is doing is terrible. Boom, end of story. But you're supposed to know already why it's bad or why this is contrary to American ideals. Like, I think they need to spend more time explaining why this is contrary to American ideals in terms of what the, what was fa- what the founding fathers said in terms of equality, what the Constitution says as far as equal protection under the law, and just the the principle of teaching American history, which involves all types of Americans, and just automatically assuming that everybody already has all of the fault lines in their minds already is a mistake, I believe, and I think actually. You see this in some instances where, where DeSantis, he may be, I don't think he's being, uh, let's say, fully full forthcoming about it, but he does always give reasons, substantive reasons about why he's doing what he's doing, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the, the demonization of wokeness. They don't just assume everybody hates wokeness. They also go in and say, oh, well, wokeness is doing this. Wokeness, wokeness is communism. Like they, now it, it's a lot of buzzwords and so forth, but they are trying to actively poison the term wokeness, not just assuming that it's already poisoned. And so from in, in the, on the contrary, I'm not saying you need to go in and cape for the term wokeness. You know, that's just used as a signal hat and, you know, nowadays. But you need to explain the principles you're trying to uphold and why those principles are central to America. And how you do that is a marketing question. How you do that from in, in not doing have some long verbose things by some lawyer like myself is you need to come up with key points. You need to come up with things that people can grasp onto, things that make people feel good about America and tie those to the values you're trying to defend. And that's the piece that I don't see. And it's, 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 I, now that you make the point that you make, I see why. Like there's almost an assumption that anybody who is, agreeable to me in general is going to understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is speaking from the NAACP's perspective. And I don't, but so a lot of effort isn't made to go out and explain it over and over again. This is why we're doing what we're doing. This is what's important to us. This is why it should matter to you, not just, oh, well, they're taking, they're, they're not teaching history the way they should be, or, you know, they're not allowing protests the way they should be. And so therefore we're doing this. So I think that's a missed opportunity, particularly right now when you're agitating, you should have as much, if not more, education behind that in terms of these messages on why you're doing what you're doing. And that, that to me, where I, it was where I could think they could do better constructively. Yeah. Like, you know. No, I think that's that's what I was saying at the at the onset, I guess, as we as we close out this discussion here, that um, you know, they're just the I, I I don't think that they are doing it in a way that is gonna lead to long-term change. You know, like I guess with the civil rights movement. Part of it, number one, was the idea of civil rights, right? Like this idea of rights as Americans. And I think that once we, because if you frame this from the lens of, let's say, freedom of speech, like how can a governor or anybody, right, in terms of in the state power now, not a private corporation, how can how can a person say you can't teach history? How can they say you you can't? You know, you can fire. I mean, forget about the the history stuff. The teacher in Tallahassee that recently got fired for in an art school for showing the statue of David. Yeah, like that's what I'm saying. Like this is offensive, not just to black people. This attitude becomes then offensive to everybody who is a fan of creativity. Like if you don't or like a fan of the Constitution, yeah, and that's what I mean. Like if you're if you're not a fan personally of Renaissance art in Europe, that's okay. But one should recognize that you know. A lot of people find that stuff beautiful, and and it's led to helping human beings be more creative. You know, since, well, but no, well, since even that on time. a more just, fundamental level, if we believe in freedom of speech, we believe in freedom of expression, and so if we hold those t- terms dear deal, uh, if we her- hold those ideals close to our hearts, then we have to that we should be offended when someone says we're banning this book or we're banning this photo of this famous artwork. And so that that's exactly what I mean. Like in terms of make that connect, don't assume that everybody already has that connection in their mind. And because right. the other side is saying this is bad because it's teaching kids this or it's teaching kids that. And it's like, well, in a free society, sometimes that's how it works. You know, and, and when there's freedom of speech, that, that there there are 
you know, the, the, the freedom of speech has the whole thing. It's not just free people are free to say things that you like. It's sometimes they're free to say things and then there's concern about that. But that's how freedom of speech works. And so, yeah, tying it to ideals of the country, freedom of speech, as opposed to just my particular concern, but an overriding concern that all Americans uh, profess that they care about and that they have affection for, I think would make a big difference in terms of, you know, so that's that's a good point. And like I said, I think you made it even a better uh, like you, you. You really set it up for me in the sense to just pointing out like, hey, not everybody was here for the fights in the 60s. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the other thing, and then I, I know we want to move because you said something pretty profound, which I want to piggyback on just now because, and this is what happens when we don't allow ourselves as a country to actually just speak and have, you know, this whole kind of truth and reconciliation as a concept, right? But but they they, they actually come in a successive order. You got to have truth first before then you can heal. Yeah. Right? You can't start healing off lies. So the thing is, is that we've seen it not just here in Florida, but specifically states like Pennsylvania, um, South Dakota, Arizona. So I, I can name them. Like, that's what I'm saying. You can look this up. They have spent time banning books on American historical figures that, again, our culture in general, like you said, the majority of Americans, of all Americans, have seemed to have settled on being comfortable with a certain narrative of American history. That narrative includes names like Frederick Douglass or Martin Luther King, not not uh, figures that one could say are maybe somewhat polarizing like uh, Malcolm X or Stokely Carmichael. Right. And so when I see books like that banned in those states, in certain school districts, what that tells me is, like you said, there's a minority of people there that it's not necessarily that the stories of Martin Luther King have something offensive in them is the fact that those stories actually talk about people like you and I who stood up for themselves and who asked this country to honor the words of its founders. That to them is offensive. And I think that is something that we are not being allowed to discuss. Instead of this whole knee-jerk reaction, let's leave Florida, we should ask the governor, hey, why are you so intimidated by including this history? Why and are use you, it as an opportunity why, to and, and, talk about it more. Talk exactly. About and also- more. You're showing us that you're choosing as a politician to court this energy, which is a minority of people in the state. They seem to be more energized. So I know you want to win because they'll they'll vote yeah, you. They'll in, show in up. Office. They'll show up. But why not be a leader and tell those people, hey, why don't you come and, and embrace the America that has developed? Right. Or the, or the one it's, that actually is an accurate representation of historic. I mean, and that's that's yeah, getting so that into. Gets I mean, into again, the whole, yeah. we say all this, <laughs> all of the 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 criticism. We're saying it to each other, actually. It's an well, but, but let me say this <laughs> as we close this because we're 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 saying all this stuff about the NAACP's, you know, the travel advisory and so forth. It's really constructive criticism because the the problems that they're identifying, we identify those as problems as well. But the issue is that the travel advisory makes it difficult for a person who is not already invested in to a particular side of the issue, it makes it difficult to see who's fighting for American ideals. Because just you say we're doing a travel advisory, Florida's hostile, yada, yada, yada. And that's like, okay, well, but you need to tie this directly and repeatedly to the fact we're on the right side here. We're the ones standing up for the Constitution. We're standing up for the First Amendment. We're standing up for an accurate telling of what actually happened. And that, I don't think, comes through inherently in the travel advisory. And that, I think, is a big concern here. It just sounds like a tit for tat. Like you said, it sounds like an emotional, oh, you're doing this. We're mad. We're going to get back at you and do this. And it's like, well, when you do that, when you wrestle with a pig, or, you know, don't wrestle in the mud with a pig because if you know people can't tell the difference between the pig and you, you know, so to speak. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, but I think we can move on from there. Uh, the the second topic we wanted to discuss today was something um, we we we've recently seen. You know, whether it be the World Health Organization, you know, the U.S., the C- CDC, and everything, but major health organizations around the world have pretty much told us, you know, officially proclaimed that the emergency aspect of the COVID pandemic is over. And, you know, so it, and it's interesting now for most people, that's like, OK, yeah, you know, and many people have, have gone on, particularly, you know, people younger than 60 or whatever have kind of already been in the mode of not much thought to the pandemic for a while. Um, and naturally, it makes sense that that would happen before the official uh, organizations, you know, make the proclamation and so forth. But there are many Americans mil- in the millions 
Um, some have counted in the tens of millions who experienced long COVID or long COVID symptoms. And a lot of them are looking around like, well, hold on. You know, what's going to happen to us now that kind of the 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 health bodies, the 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 organ large organizations around the world are kind of moving on to the next thing. And so are we still going to get the same level of support, which they're starting to see dry up? So what's your what are your thoughts, you know, on the uh, you know, on on this kind of direction that things seem to be going? And are you concerned as for that there won't be sufficient support? For the people who we don't want, you know, are, are we leaving people behind in the COVID pandemic, so to speak? Well, you threw a lot out there because um, <laughs> if I was a conspiracy theory guy, I would say you said that they've moved on to the next thing. So I could say, are, are they planning the next pandemic? Well, what happened to all the conspiracy people <laughs> now, though? Like, where, where are all the, where are, are they doing an accounting of all their conspiracies that didn't like, like all the stuff about COVID? Like, no, no, no. But just that's an aside. Go ahead. No, they are. The nanobots were in the vaccine. That's why they didn't take it. Remember, so oh, they're man. clean. So, but um, but no. So, I mean, it's it's funny. This is a personal topic for me as a member of the long COVID gang, um, which I learned or is an estimated seven to twenty three million Americans are suffering from long COVID. Mm-hmm. So I have at least I'm not alone. Let's put it that way. Um, so the um, no, I, I think it's. I find all this fascinating, man, because basically back to the 30,000 feet of kind of our whole show, right? Like we we spend a lot of time analyzing kind of what makes people tick, the the human mind, uh, psychology, all this kind of stuff over various type of topics. And I think this whole pandemic, um, not just the, the pandemic itself, the shutdown, and then like you just alluded to, the reaction of people to you know, things, right? The remedies, the different discussions we had as a society, the, the the loving or hating of people like Tony Fauci, you know, this kind of, you know, we, we all got our heroes and villains in this stuff, you know, it's, it became like a good kind of production <laughs> this yeah. whole last few years, right? Yeah. So I think it's interesting as we come off of it and as regular humans, we, we all have a short attention span and people are tired of the pandemic in general. So people do have an emotional need to want to move on but I do feel, and especially as someone, like I said, myself with long COVID, I feel things in my body that I know are just there from this virus. And, you know, I believe they're going to be probably permanent. Um, and so it is an interesting feeling to want to leave something behind and myself want to just say, yeah, this is over and let's move on. But knowing and feeling that it's not inside of me. So um, I feel like part of the long COVID community has a lot of things that we've see in every other group, right? It's all based on fear, fear of losing research dollars, fear of not being able to solve it, all that stuff. And I guess maybe I'm just wired different. I've, I'm done being scared of anything. I just feel like, okay, this is just my journey. I'm just going to, I already told my wife, yeah. don't expect me to live my full life expectancy. And I had a serious conversation with her about it. And I don't know what that means. That means maybe if my life expectancy at this point in, in modern world is is 85 maybe i live till 75 maybe i live to 81 maybe i live to 65 i don't know but i could also die of a heart attack or being shot on the street or in a car accident so this is another thing that we can allow to stress us out um and i know that some people with severe long covid is different that's more like a chronic illness Mm -hmm. um or you just take your lumps and say this is the hand i was dealt let me keep you know no, that's a healthy way to look at it yeah. because, you know, I, I oftentimes you'll see very smart people that come to the conclusion in terms of just the life we lead and how much chaos is really involved. And then we tell ourselves stories and narratives to kind of make ourselves feel better about the chaos, you know, that, that and to kind of blur the chaos. So we don't we don't know that it's all chaos or that it's 95 percent chaos. And, you know, but we feel like it, it was an arc. There's a story. And so it's, it's very, from your standpoint, a very healthy standpoint, just to be able to look at it and say, okay, you know, like to, to recognize that, that there is a level of control that I just do not have. And so if I spend my time, all of my time worrying about the level of control I do not have, then I really, you know, take a it, it go at my quality of life in general. And so, I mean, I think with everything, there is going to be, you know, in terms of how society deals with it, there's going to be a focus and then eventually focus is going to wane from it. So ultimately the, the, what I see the, the challenge here is to make sure that there still is an effort 
to try to understand, you know, COVID-19 and what it has done to people. And if there are things that we can do to, to bring people back to the close to what they were before, you know, the people that still have long COVID. And the reason I think that that can't COVID can't, we can, we're not leaving COVID behind. Although the emergency may be over where we're worried about the emergency rooms being overrun or, you know, so, so many people getting sick at a given time and so forth. That part may be over, but COVID still exists. It's people are still getting sick, getting, getting COVID and dealing with it and so forth. And then presumably getting better, you know, again, not necessarily going to the emergency room. It's not the, it's not a novel coronavirus anymore. It's not something that most of our bodies have never seen before, which lessens the threat because we run into viruses all the time, but it's still a threat. So ultimately to me, I think this is kind of the, the anxiety that people are feeling right now uh, is necessary and natural in terms of as we're trying to find our new level, the, the water level, you know, has to, to like we're, we're pulling out of the emergency phase. Now, how much of a percentage of, a, a, you know, 100% of you know, our research budget is going to stay with COVID? You know, if it were during yeah. the emergency, it might have been a much higher percent than otherwise it normally would be. And the people now that are that are expressing anxiety and concern about, hey, we still have long COVID, COVID still circulating. Let's not forget about COVID. They're a necessary part of making sure that that water level doesn't go down to zero for COVID. Yeah. Like, so if they didn't speak up, then, yeah, you know, squeaky wheel, you know, gets the oil. So they those people we, we're observing. I don't think this is you know cause for alarm, so to speak, to for society. It's like, OK, well, no, those people have to speak up now so that. All of it, it won't go from, you know, 80% of the dollars to zero. It'll go to whatever the the, the appropriate water level is, it'll go to that. And so that's what we're, we're just living through the well, experience it's gonna like, be, of, of finding that water level. And and like you said about being not in the emergency anymore and, and, and resources having to be devoted to other areas. I just think, it look, that's what I kind of accept for me, right? This long COVID stuff is going to be just have to compete for interests and dollars like every other, you know, you think about cystic fibrosis yeah, or, yeah. you know, um, yeah, we can't my, stay my in the emergency because then we do you know? neglect everything else. Exactly. So, so it's just going to be another medical condition that's asking for a seat at the table as in terms of research dollars and all that. So, you know, it's, um, but I think it's, it's interesting, right? We're at this, it's in, I guess when we look at history and we've done shows on COVID about, you know, and compared it to things like the Spanish flu or the, or the Boston thing in the early 1900s, you know, and they started having issues with arguing about vaccines in like 1902. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, again, when you read things in history, there's always like, it's just dates on a page. So it's like, Oh yeah, this ended like, through yeah, 1921. Like, yeah. 1922. And it's like, okay, it was just over. And it's like, yeah. no, it doesn't work that way. Like I'm sure by nineteen twenty-five there was still a huge cultural kind of just hangover, right? And and, and we and, made but just just to tie it in, we made the point a year or two ago that when you're living through the dash, when you read that 1920, 1919 through that dash, whatever, 1923. You don't think about all the years that were lived in that dash, and yeah. so now we're we're at the end. We have the, the the end date, so to speak. But it's again, that doesn't mean everybody forgets about it, and the society yeah. doesn't have to deal with it anymore. So that's a good point. Yeah, and I guess you know, even to round it off and finish up, right? That's everything. So we could even go back to our first section of this show today and and say that from a cultural lens, you know, the, these these dashes and living at these points, nothing really ends with a hard finite, right? It's things bleed into other, you know, you know, things and change over time. So, you know, will, will this long COVID, I mean, look, if COVID in this form never comes back, then everybody like me with long COVID at some point will die, you know, in the next 20, 30 years or whatever. And, you know, the, the world will have rid itself fully of COVID. Or like you said, COVID will stay around and it'll just be another one of many viruses and diseases that human beings deal with. So, and that'll yeah, and compete for this. attention. You know. Yeah, and what, for me, one side benefit that I'm hopeful for is now I'm hoping we can have the conversation in a more sober way of what COVID. You know, was there anything preventable about the way COVID arose? And that we can try to address that because in the middle, this is the point I made at the time 
in the middle of the emergency, it's really difficult. You know, if you're, if you're trying, if you have a, if the house is on fire, you don't send in the investigators at that moment to try to figure out how the fire started. You got to get the fire under control or put out. And so once the fire is put out, then you send in the investigators say, okay, how did the fire start? And so I'm hopeful that at this point now, the, the thoughtful conversation can have, okay, how it be like, let's look cl- more closely. Now, this is tough because China doesn't provide information. China does, is not open as far as much information, but I'm sure there's still some forensic stuff that can be done. Um, just in terms of figuring out what exactly happened, um, let's not go based on what's convenient for all parties. Let's go based on, okay, what's most likely and everything like that. And then what can be done in the future? Because there's still, you know, like pathogens are not going anywhere. You know, and so there is there, if, if, if we're doing experimentation or if we're doing things that put us at risk for pathogens hopping over or pathogens, you know, being taken out of animals and tested and stuff like that, whatever it is, let's just make sure that one, the precautions are in place to try to avoid this and or two. The, the you know, like it, it, that stuff is constrained in a way. And again, I don't know that this is something you try to ban outright because then you lose all control over it because it happens in, in, you know, in, in the dark, so to speak. So it, I don't know that ban is the right answer because uh, it doesn't bans generally don't end things anyway. But I, I hope we can have the conversation. We can have the analysis and the conversation, though, what to try saying? to banning, make sure we like avoid this, this. Uh, gain of function research and all that stuff. Yeah, like gain of okay. function, all that stuff. I just think this now is the time <laughs> to look at that stuff and say, okay, well, you what's going you, on here? You deal with all that. You, 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 you're the smart guy. You know what? I'm gonna go back after now that the, we're out of the fire stage and we can go uh-huh. back and analyzing. I want to go back to the idea of putting bleach under the skin and making that work. <laughs> so when I'm gonna go in my direction and I'm gonna spend a few years making that work, you have fun in your direction and we'll meet back up okay yeah no when well, the next, hey, when the the next pandemic are... comes and i put the syringe with bleach in my arm oh my and God. i don't and i don't die you're gonna say tune day see now i gotta put i need some of that on the on the front of the yeah, podcast you're gonna say i need some of that i'm gonna say nope you didn't want to come research it. <laughs> you have to go look at all that fancy stuff and gain a function and all that yeah. yeah 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 all right so yeah you're you're doing research on injectable poison and yeah, <laughs> yeah so they would go with that but no i mean like i said i, I think now is the time, basically. I think from the standpoint, it, will, it won't necessarily, the people who would have emotional and extreme reactions just aren't paying attention to this anymore. So now we can have a real conversation without them coming in and making it all about themselves or, you know, whatever it is. So I, that, I get a feeling they'll, they'll still show up, though. <laughs> <laughs> only if it delivers their, ratings, they, man. Only yeah, they'll find their way back in somehow. We, we got we to distract them, man. We need some... We need some <laughs> We need to some CRT or something we can point them to well, distract that goes, them yeah. so that we can have a real conversation. The wokeism. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, but no, I think we can wrap this conversation from here. We appreciate everybody for joining us on this episode of Call Like I See It. Subscribe to the podcast, rate it, review us, re- tell us what you think. Uh, send it to a friend. Until next time, I'm James Keys. Tune to Evan Lana. All right, we'll talk to you next time.